You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated with Pete Sampson of The Athletic. It's Thursday, a couple days before. It's December 3rd. Notre Dame takes on Syracuse on Saturday, December 5th in the senior day, the final home game in Notre Dame Stadium of the season. I don't know. I mean, really, the bigger news, I guess, is that Notre Dame's already qualified for the ACC uh, championship game, which we knew they would do with a win over Syracuse. But with the Wake Forest game canceled, as the ACC stepped in and canceled Notre Dame Wake Forest for the 12th and Clemson, Florida State on the 12th, presumably because Davos Sweeney wasn't going to go back to Tallahassee. They had to cancel both of them. And that was the thing that, that Brian Kelly said, as long as it was equitable, either they both played on the 12th or neither played on the 12th. And, and that's what we have. Notre Dame traveled to Wake Forest. It's, it's never uncomplicated uh, for Irish Illustrated and the Athletic. <laughs> so I, I mean, it, this is, it's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to ask Brian Kelly about this a week ago, right. Is that you could sort of see something like this coming. Um, I didn't know it was going to drop on Monday night. Didn't sound like Brian Kelly necessarily knew that it was going to drop on Monday night either, but it, uh, I mean, it makes sense. The ACC teams are still playing 10 games, same as the SEC. Um, this isn't a big 10 PAC 12 situation where you're, you're cutting your inventory down so low that you can't get a good read on who's good and who's not. So, I mean, it, it makes sense. Um, I think it would have been great if they both played. I would have preferred that, but I think that uh, Dabo Sweeney was not going to let that happen. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's a mild break a little bit for Notre Dame. Who's just battling some injuries. I mean, they need the week. It, it's good for their offensive line that that week's off. It's good for Kyron Williams. Who's, quintupled what you thought he might do in terms of, of terms of carries. If you went back to July 31st and said, how many carries will Kyron Williams right. get this year? Like it's, they, they were, they are not their healthiest. So this helps a little bit. Clemson was not their healthiest when they came to Notre Dame. Notre Dame is not their healthiest right now. Right. Well, Greg Sankey from the SEC does not agree that it was the right thing for the ACC to do because he thinks that, uh, I mean, he kind of makes it sound like it's a little bit underhanded that, that, uh, the ACC would step in and and just hand the ACC championship game or the advancement to the championship game to Notre Dame and Clemson provided, of course, Clemson wins at, at Virginia Tech. I don't I don't really know where Greg Sankey gets off commenting about it. I mean, it's not like the ACC, they, they will have played nine conference football games, which is about normal for most conferences. It's the, some serious semantics on his part, too, because, I mean, it's not like Notre Dame has to play Miami to qualify to get in that game and maybe get knocked out of the playoffs. Right, I right. mean, maybe a 17-point favorite over the team he's crying that they're not playing. That's I, I know you can lose and you can get hurt and all that type of stuff, but like, but he doesn't care about attrition. He just cares about the one loss. He could care less if there's attrition for Notre Dame or, or Clemson, but I don't know. It's a bit much. I mean, he doesn't... He might be canceling some games too here in the next two weeks. He's, yeah. It's college football. Everyone has their yeah. own interests at heart and only their own interests at heart. Like, and Greg Sankey's had to sit there and hear a lot of commentary about like, why do you let Alabama play the Citadel in late November? And he's probably like, well, where do you get off commenting on what we're doing? Like it's just college football. Everyone, everyone is about themselves and themselves only. Um, I just thought it was kind of interesting that the ACC looked out for Notre Dame here and like i could have seen the acc be like look you got to play wake forest sorry um yeah and and kelly, we're gonna give them trevor lawrence for a game yeah <laughs> i mean brian kelly you know admitted that he wouldn't have been surprised had they said yeah you got you have to play it i, I think everything is surprising 
to a large extent, I, you know, I always talk about the business relationship the ACC and Notre Dame has, but still everything seems to have broken Notre Dame's way with the help of the ACC. On to personnel issues uh, regarding this Saturday against, uh, against Syracuse. Game time decision with Zeke Corral starting at center. Uh, I'm suspecting he's not going to play with a high ankle sprain that he basically played the, the, the entire second, a little bit of the end of the first half and the entire second half with uh, against North Carolina. So if Corral doesn't go, then Lug starts at center. Dylan Gibbons starts at right guard. I would expect that to ha- happen. Tommy Kramer has practiced this week. He will be dressed for the game. Uh, which will undoubtedly be his last game in at Notre Dame Stadium in Notre Dame uh, uniform, but uh, he's on the um, emergency use only against Syracuse. The strange thing, not strange thing for me. The unfortunate thing is, I think if Carell is to be your starter against Clemson, it would have been great for Carell to get more another game under his belt. Mm-hmm. He's probably the only guy that could have used the Wake Forest game on the entire team. Actually, right, it would be Zeke Carell, um, and now Lug. If Lug, I mean, Lug could use the time off of the back, obviously, but if Lug plays well, you got to make that decision quickly, right? You're not going, you're not going past the yeah. line to figure it out. And Zeke Carell won't look as good as, as Josh Lug because he's coming off a high ankle sprain when he yeah, comes. It's a to tough go situation. Again. It's a tough situation either way going into Clemson because Carell will have started one game and Lug likely will have started one game at, at center, and that's not that's not ideal going into the. But you're not going to have Patterson back, so it wasn't going to be ideal either way. But you would like to, you know, all things being equal. I mean, I th- I don't know what how you guys feel after seeing the game. Going into the game, I thought Lug was the better choice at center. Coming out of the game, I thought Corral played really well. Um, and I think it's unfortunate he won't get a second start before playing against Clemson for a second time. I agree. I mean, it's, he's like O'Malley said, he's probably the one guy who could have used the Wake Forest game. That's not reason to play the Wake Forest game. Um, <laughs> but but um, I thought Carell played well and sort of backed up the optimism the staff privately had in him going into the game. So it's, um, I don't know. It, I, I sort of view the line is you can get through Saturday and then figure it out from there. You know, there's no competition at right guard, as Brian Kelly said, moving forward, Tommy Kramer. It's like, look, if the ACC championship game was this weekend, I'm pretty sure Tommy Kramer would start in it. Um, right. And But who knows? Maybe Zeke Carell would play in it as well. I don't, I'm not really sure uh, how the the nature of this weekend impacts how Brian Kelly views the center position on December 5th and December 5th only. But, yeah, interestingly enough, I think the comeback, the quote comeback from one's an injury, one's a surgery, I think it's easier for Kramer than it is for Corral with a high ankle sprain. So oh, especially but, if Kramer has this week off. I mean, he's I'm sure he's not doing much in practice either. Right, 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 right. Well, I, I want I do want to talk about Notre Dame versus Syracuse. I know there isn't going to be there aren't a whole lot of questions in segment two about it. Syracuse has lost seven in a row. Uh they've got a quarterback situation. They've got a situation pretty much everywhere throughout their their team, but they are tied for first in the country and turnovers forced. For what that's worth, they're tied with Central Florida with 22 turnovers forced. So that's a, you know, that's a that that's a plus in their favor. But man, they are so bad on third down. The biggest mismatch of all is is Notre Dame's number three third down defense, defense against Syracuse's number 124 third down offense. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a there's a one for 12 awaiting Syracuse here on third down. Tim, I think the uh, 
he said for what it's worth, the turnovers, 22 turnovers force, it's worth something if you're betting a 33 and a half point spread and an over under, but that's about all it's worth. I think going in that game, Perhaps. That, that is their way to uh, Georgia tech themselves to a seven to seven first quarter score. And you're chasing your 33 points. If you're betting on the Irish, probably the only way. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's not, um, I'm surprised Syracuse has lost games as competitively as they have. They have had some good losses. They really I mean, have. Cold, no, they have. Losses. I just don't think Saturday is going to be one of them. No, I don't either. I sure. Did you guys watch any of the Clemson game? I, I The problem yeah. is I, I did too, and I thought they – I mean, they just looked so much different. And you can see Clemson turn it on, but that they, they played like – I guess they had more players. They hadn't had as many opt-outs in the secondary yet, but they – they just played so much different than I saw them. Like the BC game just looked like two teams sleepwalking through a game that was not meant to be on television, as opposed to the Clemson-Syracuse game, which I thought was entertaining. Yeah, this has been a – I mean, it's been a horrible season for, for Dino Babers because he had the he had the opt-outs before the season started. His top two running backs, Adams and Howard, and the, and the Tucker kid, uh, Sean Tucker, who's who's been their leading rusher. Incidentally, Sean Tucker leading – Sean Tucker has scored all three of Syracuse's rushing touchdowns this year. Notre Dame had three rushing touchdowns last week against North Carolina. They're just not, I mean, they're not a very good football team. I've talked in the past. They've done something good things defensively. In addition to taking the ball away, they actually, you know, having watched them all week, um, you know, they put, they put some pressure on the quarterback. They can do it with a four man rush. They will blitz. Their linebackers are pretty good. They're young and they're very aggressive. And they will bring those linebackers, so they've they've been able to generate a pass rush and put uh, pressure on the quarterback at times, and they force turnovers on the back end. But they just they're so bad offensively, averaging 17 points per game. Um, you know, this is one of those. You look at the line; it's 33 and a half. The over under is 52, and so you know the odds makers are completely anticipating it being real difficult for Syracuse to score in this game, and and. If you go, I mean, it's kind of humorous to go look through game by game what they are on third down because it's just like, you know, three for 14 on third down is a good day for Syracuse this year. It's Jack Freeman. I, I don't want to ruin his uh, site prediction, but he said the game nobody's been waiting for <laughs> on the uh, Irish Illustrated staff picks. So it is. It was a good line. I, I, I'm throwing it out there right now to the world, Jack. But no, that's. It's a, got a, decent, way to end, it's a strange way to end this regular season. I think yeah, it really is. Somebody, with. one of the questions I didn't include it, it was a trivia question, so I just answered it directly. When's the last time Notre Dame concluded the regular season at home? At home in December? Oh, at, at home? At home, period. Yeah, I was going to say I had I had the December trivia. Yeah. Uh, it's a very, it's a game very familiar to, to you. It's the 1993 Boston College game. Oh my gosh. Whoa. That's a good yeah. point. And yeah. also it's true, which makes it a good point, but wow. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I've not been on the Notre Dame beat when it has not been the yeah, Thanksgiving weekend right. in California. 93 BC. And, and actually the weather for Saturday should be pretty good. The game's a little bit earlier at two thirty kickoff. I don't know. Rain sun, I believe forties, all things considered for December 5th in South Bend, you know, Syracuse is thankful. Syracuse is used to, the horrible winners, but when you've lost seven in a row and you're one and nine, you're coming. You want to go play in a bad weather game? Yeah, you don't want you know 25 <laughs> mile an hour winds and st- standing there looking at the clock, trying to push it forward as quickly as you can. So now we're not expecting a whole lot from Syracuse, although they do they have a good kicker. 
They had a kick return for a touchdown against NC State. Is he tall? Do they have a tall player? They have guys that 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 uh, did strength and conditioning during the offseason. That's that's unfair. But you know they're uh, they're up against it this weekend. Uh, the the greatest thing that they have in their favor is that Notre Dame had next weekend's game canceled. They already have a spot in the ACC championship. It's senior day. Uh, Nordim has some things working against them where they might not be at their best, but they're not going to have to be at their best to uh, register their 10th victory of the season heading into the ACC championship game. We'll be back with segment two, burning up the boards. Today's Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast is sponsored by ShelbySweats.com. Shelby at Shelby underscore sweats on Instagram is a certified personal trainer and online fitness and health coach. Shelby offers one-on-one coaching to provide her clients with custom fitness and health plans at work. Shelby uses her own 60-pound weight loss journey to help clients look and feel their best without over-exercising or restriction. Her fitness methodology combines strength training, cardio, yoga, boxing, and functional movement and flexibility. For a free 30-minute video chat consultation with Shelby, fill out a form on her site, shelbysweats.com, or an email to shelbysweatstraining at gmail.com. This is segment two, burning up the boards of Irish Illustrated Insider. We start with a question from Swarbrick for Prez. Would you take Owusu Koromoa, Kyle Hamilton, and Kyron Williams out of the Syracuse game in the first quarter? Also, share your thoughts on the significance of Ian Book getting 30 wins, along with a favorite memory of Book either in a game or an interview. And Pete uh, had an excellent story on the athletic today about Ian Book. But let's start with uh, how Notre Dame handles their substitutions in a game presumably strongly in their favor against Syracuse. I would definitely take Owusu Kormo and Kyle Hamilton out at halftime if I yeah. could, because what I, I really don't need to see a targeting penalty pop up for no reason in a meaningless game that then you're like, oh, sorry, you're out for Clemson part two in the first half. Yeah, actually, that's a technical good point to make uh, Thank you. is that they should be out at that point of the game. Kyron Williams, um, as long as Sebo Flemister can go, I would give, I think, I know Kyron Williams wants a hundred yards to get a thousand or 99, I guess, but uh, that's a Sebo Flemister game and a little bit of a Chris Tyree game for me. Um, if Kyron wants it, he's going to have to break one. <laughs> yeah. Let him know, man, if you want your 99 yards, you're going to have to break one here. <laughs> he's got to come out at some point too. He's just, I, I, I think he, People are underestimating how he already was a little worn down for that BC game after putting it all there against Clemson, and he's a running back, and you need got to get some tread off those tires. So I'd get him out of there too, and of course yeah. he got to get out of the game. Yeah, and he hadn't uh, Williams hadn't played the year before, so it'd been a couple of years since he's had this kind of activity. Right. Um, yeah, I, you know, I mean, it's hard to put a time on when you take guys out, except I, he did on the defensive side because the targeting. Like that's a great point on targeting. Kyron Williams should not get called for targeting. So if he no. wants to get six carries in the third quarter, you right? Know. Or you tell Kyle Hamilton don't get a targeting. Right. Yeah, you could play with you that. Can, in yeah, you can. Sure. You can. You can do that. And Jeffers with Ian Book expected to get win number thirty as a starter. Wait, do we didn't address? Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, a good one. Ian Book getting a thirty wins. The previous question from Swarbrick for president. My favorite book memory in an interview is the first one when he sat down after beating Stanford and he just said, let's do this. I thought that was Ian Book's best moment at the mic. He was the confident kid that walked in and just goes, all right, let's do it. Uh, favorite book memory would be the Clemson game because it went from a 
quarterback people were not appreciating that much and sometimes with good reason to a really good quarterback in the most important game Notre Dame had played in a quarter century. I uh, I had an interview with him, I think it was the, yeah, it was summer before tw- the 2019 season where I just sort of like went over six plays with him, um, which was a lot of fun. I learned a ton um, about how he sees the game and all, everything that he has to sort of take into account before the snap of the ball. Um, so yeah, that was, that was probably my favorite media interaction with him. Um, yeah. And the, the best, you know, not that the end of the citrus bowl was pretty cool. Um, which was the lead of my story today about uh, how Quentin Nelson came to his hotel room, pounded on the door and basically opened up and said, dude, thanks for, uh, thanks for making me, sending me out a winner, gave him a big bear hug and then left. Um, and that's, I mean, that was, hug. that was an awesome moment. As you think back about like how many conversations we had that off season about like book Wimbush, book Wimbush, 29 wins later, he's or about to be 29 wins later. It's not the all-time wins record at Notre Dame, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, and in a, in a normal season, we would have had a ton of face-to-face interactions with him this year. And, of course, we had zero uh, face-to-face interactions with him. Uh, but, you know, I, I always, I've always enjoyed the interviews with him. I think that he's, you know, fairly straightforward with a lot of stuff that he says. But I would agree with Tim. I mean, the Clemson game, I, I, I felt – I felt great satisfaction for him having known everything that he had gone through, thinking back to the shushing the crowd with the touchdown last year, you know, Virginia tech, which I didn't think was a good look, but you know, I'm not Ian book. So, you know, it's not for me to, to live his life for him, but the performance against Clemson and then what he's done the last three games will change the narrative of his career at Notre Dame forever. That's my book story going up eventually here. Uh, Did he, we wrote about Ian Book starts when it was, I think, 25, because we had the two-week bye for Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. And I said he would be defined by the next nine, more than the first 25 in Notre Dame's yeah. minds. And boy, has he changed the narrative of that. And that, that's why I think I mentioned this after the Clemson game on our podcast. I legitimately felt bad for Ian Book when he fumbled that ball in the end zone against Clemson. Like, yeah, it was not, to. oh, a Notre Dame alum that wants to win the game. I was like, oh, my gosh, poor Ian Book. Why could that have been something? Right. It just, it's like his it's legacy. Like, think about – Think about the change in legacy from that play until the final, you know, the, the game, uh, the game tying drive yeah. and everything that's gone on since then sports is an amazing thing. When, when, when the turnabout is, is, is that stark and Jeffers with Ian book expected to get win number 30 as a starter. Where does America's favorite three-star rank among all-time Northern quarterbacks that you've covered? I did not cover Quinn. So I can do this a lot quicker than anybody than Pete can. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Okay, go ahead. Number one. <laughs> I Jim would, Lawson's junior year was awesome, but I can't compare it to a guy that's yeah, good. Yeah, I would just I would go I would go two behind Quinn for now, um, pending how the rest of this month goes. I go back a little further. Um, I single seasons. I know McDougal in '93 is near and dear to you, Tim. Um, yeah. Jimmy Clausen, his last year was absolutely phenomenal on a really bad football team. I've always felt like Tony Rice was the quintessential, who I spoke to the other day, as a matter of fact, um, just the quintessential leader of a great football team, but he had a lot of help around him. Rick Meyer was good. Brady Quinn put up absurd numbers. Deshaun Kaiser was really good for a year. Uh, I would put book behind Quinn and Rice. But man, how, how you know he's going to be thirty in 
how do you argue with this the starting record? I mean, it's, you know, it's I mean, it's, right? You know, he lost to great teams, and Rice lost to Miami, Miami. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Penn State and that Penn State in the freezing cold. So those Miami teams were pretty good. That, yeah. That's a tough. That's a tough yeah. guy. It's right. It's right up there. Let's put it that way. It's right based upon because of the last three games. Uh, Mac three forty one. What player has impressed you the most this year on offense and defense? Who has made the biggest improvement since last year? Javon McKinley on offense. Um, I think probably by a wide margin for me because I, I I've never really been somebody. You know, I know Brian Kelly talked about this today. Just you know that they felt like he had this in him. I'm not sure that I shared that opinion. Um, so huge surprise to him and full credit to the season he's had. It's been, he's a player um, defensively. That's harder. I think because um, I, I don't think the buck linebackers have surprised me. I guess it would probably be Clarence Lewis um, just because he was, quite literally a nobody uh, when the season started. It was like, okay, he was just a three-star prospect like everybody else. So that would that would be the one that would have to jump out the most to me. That's a good call surprise. I can't argue against McKinley as a surprise or Clarence Lewis because I've kind of I've kind of always thought Justin Adamiola was pretty good, and he would be the only other one that yeah. really improved the most since last year, but I, I'm not surprised by it as much. Um, I think, Tim, we probably had Clarence Lewis ranked in the 70s in our pre- preseason thing so you got to say Clarence Lewis for that in our preseason countdown um the most impressive to me is Kyron Williams because I did not know he was I did not know he was this good yeah no I agree and I downplayed Kyron Williams till I said I had to see it and damn have I seen it (laughs) you know the original question most impressive I I think Liam Eikenberg has been tremendously impressive at left, left tackle to the point where I mean, you notice them on big running uh, run blocks. Mm-hmm. You don't really notice them pass blocking because he doesn't get beaten, generally speaking. Uh, so, I mean, impressed covers a lot of things. And certainly impressed with what Ian Book has done the last three games. Kyron Williams has been outstanding. I asked about Justin Adamiola. Is that literally the first time anybody's ever asked about him to Brian Kelly? Unless it happened on signing day. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting. He, you know his dad a little bit. I, I know him very, very little. But it was interesting. One thing that he said was, Justin's better than Jason. Originally, I, yeah. You, originally, right? and I thought, yeah, I don't know about that. But I think he's right. I believe. I agree. I mean, as far as just making plays and getting around the yeah. football. Jason said a uh, kind of a rough year in terms of stop, start, stop, start. Stop, yeah, no, yeah. yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, you know. I, I, we can't pick a buck linebacker because it's been so up and down and a different guy, but Maris Lee, if I was great last week, Shane Simon was great against Clemson. Yeah. Um, we got a buck linebacker question so we can go with it. Okay. Well, there you go. Dave from PA 70, which in season development impresses you more the effectiveness of the wide receiver group, the strong play of the buck trio, the ascension of Ian book to top five ish college quarterback. I think one and three are tied together. Ian book emerging ties in with the receivers and the receivers emerging ties in with Ian book. Um, Ian book, top five ish college quarterback. I think I ish count six to 10. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know exactly where you rank him. Can I say that they all have been impressive equally 33% each. 
you know, the Buck linebacker trio, the way it has worked out is is the weirdest thing to me. <laughs> so I guess that's the most impressive. How? I mean, three guys have had three separate great games. And the guy that I think all three of us think is the least impressive had his great game against Clemson. But the right. whole thing is weird. The whole it's all weird. That's a strange. I would, I would vote for the receiver group in the from the if you had told me in August standpoint of Kevin Austin is not going to play at all, and Braden Lindsay is going to basically yeah, miss the entire year with a hamstring. I would have said like, all right, well that's a hot mess. Um, and they've been good. Like, oh, and then Jordan Johnson will never really be a factor. Um, I would just I would have said that would have been impossible for Notre Dame to have a functional passing game. And Lawrence, and here Key. we are. It's good. And Lawrence Keys. <laughs> and Lawrence Keys too. Go yeah, play. him too. Can't even get on. Can't even get on the field. Jay Jude, the regular season almost over is almost over. Which Notre Dame players do you think are in line for all ACC team, and which have a shot at being All Americans? I mean, there's a lot for all ACC. It's going to help when we vote to see the other names in front of you too. So you're like, oh yeah, wait a second. I can't just think all oh, four four offensive linemen are all ACC because there's other guys too. So all American. Is easier to break down. Ousu Koromoa, Kyle Hamilton, and Liam Eichenberg. I don't, Eichenberg. I don't know who Eichenberg exactly is competing against. I don't either. But I think he's, he's in the running. He's in the yeah. running. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of good running backs this year, but it makes it tough to be a number, a number three running back in Kyron Williams. Kind of like, like Ian, there's a lot, there's definitely more quarterbacks than three. So Ian Book's not in the running for that. I think all ACC is the intriguing question, Pete. Yeah, it's like, is Kyron Williams an all-ACC running back? Yeah, probably, right? Inside, he's got to be on one of the teams. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah if we're talking, for, you know, first team or, or three teams. First, that's second, a, that's, third, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I'll be curious, how does Ian Book slot into the all-ACC quarterback as a third-teamer? He um, should. He, he should with, the, with this surge and who he's beat, I think. I mean, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence, Sam Howell, De'Ara King. Yeah, that's the tough. It is, but I, I, I'd have trouble <laughs> putting book in there with books. I see, are we voting? I wonder if we're going to vote after the championship game. That changes a little bit too. Yeah, I'm not sure. Although that makes um, Lawrence better than the other guys because the other guys don't yeah, get a fail. You know, I think. I mean, Patterson got a lot of preseason notice. I, I he certainly was was uh, trending in all ACC territory. Sure. Before the injury. Hamilton, uh, ba- Banks. I think Banks would be in the running, Hainsey. no doubt. Clearly, Eichenberg. Hainsey um, is actually not for this matters overall, but he is the number one ranked player on Notre Dame from Pro Football Focus. <clears throat> I know there's a lot of different opinions on Pro Football Focus, but it's never a bad thing to be the number one ranked player, right? <laughs> no, probably not doing poorly in the technical reviews of people. So. Hey, speaking of, uh, you know, who a guy that a guy that pops out every time I'm watching somebody else play in preparation for who Notre Dame is playing is Kerry Angeline, the, the tight end from NC state. That dude's really good. He's uh, got my vote. Former Notre Dame rec- prospect. Uh, yeah. And USC commitment for like a USC player. I don't remember. I don't remember that, but no, I he's good. He man. USC he, and transferred to NC state. Okay. No, he's been, he's been really good. So yeah, Notre Dame's got a bunch of, uh, a bunch of candidates there. I want Michael Mayer won't make it because you have Long from BC, you know, but freshman All American, though. Freshman All American, certainly. ND Band 94, assuming Notre Dame plays Clemson in the championship game and they have Trevor Lawrence and two or three defensive guys back, 
Do you think the Irish game plan stays the same, or do you feel it can change given the confidence the team is playing with now? I mean, they had they had the confidence when they played them the first time. I, I'm not sure that 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 changes or is is different. I think you're, you know, you're going to have to deal with. I, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to come out firing. He's going to come out throwing the ball downfield and say, "Okay, you beat us on November 7th. Watch this." I, I think I think Notre Dame secondary. I think I mentioned this on Monday is really, really going to be challenged. But in terms of Notre Dame's approach, he's still on it. You still have to take away ETN first. It, it, I mean, I think it's it starts there because that means that you're winning the line of scrimmage, and the only way you're going to beat Clemson is if you win the line of scrimmage, and they did on both sides of the ball last time. I think the game plan doesn't change because of the confidence Notre Dame is playing with. There you go. That's I I would view it that way. I think if Notre Dame hadn't improved since the Clemson game, if I looked at Notre Dame and be like, okay, that was the, that was as good as they looked then I think they would have to change some things up. But I think because Notre Dame is playing so well and knows it's playing so well, they can stay the same. I also think that Brian Kelly is going to go like full Dabo Sweeney over the next two weeks about, they say you couldn't beat them with Trevor Lawrence. They say you couldn't run on them because of those defensive players. Like Notre Dame is going to lay this one on thick. I mean, you would, by the time Brian Kelly is done with these next two weeks, you Notre Dame is going to think that, uh, it lost to Clemson the first time. <laughs> I want to ask Brian Kelly because he said post game uh, we have to play them differently, and I wonder if that's true. He said because of all the yards they give a pass, he's like, I, you know, oh, okay, play them differently because look at this, look at this guy throwing the ball deep to everybody. I mean, I did not know Cornell Powell was that good. I know he he had, he was coming on and he had ten catches for 111 yards or whatever the game before. He's there, Devon McKinley. Ten catches yeah. for 111 yards. You're like, all right, they can handle that. That's. That's now you make a good point, Tim. I, yeah, he did say that, and so that makes it was an all time <laughs> it was a pretty good effort, man. That's yeah. I, I so I, I want to ask him because he's I, not like give me your game plan, like some people have been asking players. Well, in our so maybe so maybe the difference then is just the, the, the coverage schemes on the back end. I still, I still think. You know, if you, if ETN runs all over you, then they're going to do whatever they want to do offensively. Agree, completely agree with you. Yeah, you can't change too much. I think Pete, I think you guys are right. right. I just want to answer the question. Maybe some some different looks on the back end. Maybe how you use Hamilton. Not every down, but but I don't know. We've got we've we got, got a lot, before, got a long time to evaluate that. But um, yeah, I, I you know Pete, I think you I do think you make a good point that. You know, because of the confidence, you they look, we're going to line up and we're going to kick your ass again. Yeah, uh, that would, yeah. I would think that that would be Notre Dame's Notre Dame's attitude with some some slight alterations, perhaps on the back end. The salty Jazz fourteen, two years into Nor- uh, his Notre Dame career, how does Isaiah Foskey compare to Julian O'Quara and Khalid Kareem, two years into their respective careers? To my untrained eye, Foskey seems to have greater upside than either O'Quara or Kareem. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put Foskey above Okwara at the at similar stages because Okwara had already flashed in a in a way that he had beaten people when he was being blocked. Like Isaiah Foskey, I do not understand, like statistically, how he has all his sacks feel like he was just unblocked. Um, and like credit for him for making them, but uh, I feel like Okwara had already shown the ability to beat people one on one, and I. Kareem certainly had that technical ability, even if maybe we hadn't seen it yet. So I would, I would put Foskey behind those guys, even if physically 
he's pro- he's more impressive than both. I think he will end up being a great, great senior. But then again, Julian Aquar was a great junior, and Khalid Cream was a great senior and a very good junior. <laughs> so well, this is more of the shiny new car. looks better than your last shiny new car. Aquar and Kareem were great. I mean, Julian Aquar is a junior. Is, is Isaiah Foskey going to have 50 pressures next yeah, year? Yeah, but see, that's that's the point. I want to question. We're not talking about Julian Aquar as a junior. The comparison is Julian Aquara as a redshirt freshman. I'm just checking. He was a he his sophomore year, 17. He took over for Hayes, and he had 30 pressures according to Pro Football Focus, which is more than he had. That's they give they give credit for if you breathe on the quarterback at all in the pocket. But he was still number two on the team, even though he was playing half the snaps. That, that was his third year in the program, though. No, he was a freshman in 16 that mm-hmm. played. Okay. No, you're right. right. He was never yeah. a redshirt freshman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I find it. Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. Okay. You're right. I apologize for that. Uh, Fosky. I, I don't even, I, I don't even consider Fosky and Kareem as guys that you can compare. They're, they're two, they play different positions. They're different players. Fosky is a, is a pass rusher. And Kareem is a, was a combo deal. I mean, the quintessential big, and, um, and I, and I think he created pass rush for himself just by being Khalid Kareem and being such a good football player. I, I have a hard time making any comparison because I think their roles and their styles are completely different. I should point out, although Okora was a halftime player, he and Dalen Hayes, he was more productive than Hayes. Um, Foskey doesn't get as many chances because they have a rotation. that's just ridiculous now. Right, right, right. So when I say pressures, that probably shouldn't count. Or anything that there's no way you can have as many pressures if you don't get in there as much. Statman 72. Does anyone know whatever happened to Joe Moorhead? Please don't duck the question. It's duck with a capital D by Statman <laughs> yeah. 72. Uh well, yeah, I, I think Statman 72 knows that he is at Oregon, and Oregon is 14th in the country in total offense and 18th in scoring offense. So he hasn't he hasn't disappeared off the face of the earth, but uh, I love what Tommy Reese is doing, man. I think I think his future in the game is 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 uh, pretty unbelievable moving forward. I, I think Oregon it worked out well for Oregon. And it worked out well for Notre Dame. Yeah, Oregon's averaging seven point five one yards per play. There's only one Power Five team averaging more, and that's Alabama. So, a, a win on for both programs, yep. Reese and Moorhead. Plus, we really didn't care about. Hiring Tommy Reese, we thought it was fine to hire Tommy Reese. We just didn't want to be told there was a nationwide search, <laughs> including all these coordinators that never came anywhere near talking to Brian Kelly. That was the complaint on the podcast, to be honest. Let's, we like Tommy Reese as a coordinator. Right? We thought he'd be successful. I mean, he's doing better. They're undefeated yeah. in the country. They're great. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think that he would be as good as he is now. No. He, right. He's right. really good, really creative. I love what he's doing. Question from uh, Verdusco Steve, who is a fellow um, – Notre Dame baseball alum. He probably doesn't realize that because he came 10, 12 years after me and was way better than me. But question from Produsco Steve. Did you see Mackenzie Milton is grad transferring from South, uh, Central Florida? He would be a great fit at Notre Dame for one year. His knee is healthy. He's very accurate and he's a leader and a grinder like book. What do you think? I, I would kick the tires on this 100% if I was Notre Dame. I, I do not know enough about his knee, unlike Verdusco Steve, to say whether it's totally healthy or not. 
but I would I would get on this immediately if I was Notre Dame to see if there was any interest and if McMilton could do it. I uh, I agree with Pete. Um, I don't think just from listening to Tom Loy talk about what he has been told that they're in the market for a grad transfer. But I always believe that you should try to improve your team. And if Tyler Buckner wins the job as a sophomore in 2022, one of these two guys is transferring anyway. So you shouldn't worry about somebody transferring because you bring in a really good grad, grad transfer that might lead you to 11 and one next year with a great defense and a week schedule. Yeah. One of those guys will not finish his career at Notre Dame regardless. So who cares if it starts, if it happens next year? Well, I think, uh, I think Notre Dame does because I think they're kind of sensitive to this situation, which they haven't done before with a court with a quarterback. Having said that, I agree with you guys. I mean, I think I think you got to do what you have to do to make yourself better. I can understand from Notre Dame's perspective, not having done it before, mm-hmm. having some concerns about what it does to the chemistry of your team and the future of your quarterback position and the future of recruiting. Having said all that, you know, it's done all over the country now, and you have to do what you have to do to make it's yourself been better. It's devastating in Oklahoma. I mean, you say they haven't recovered from taking grad transfers <laughs> I'm just saying as far as culture and chemistry. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the evaluation that Notre Dame has to do on Milton. Does he fit in your locker room? Does he fit in your meeting room? And if you think that's a yes, do it. I don't think in that area, I don't think quarterback is any, is any should be viewed any differently than any other position. No, you got to make that evaluation first. (laughs) Yeah. I I agree that it shouldn't be viewed differently, but it, but it, it will be since it would be the first time that Notre Dame has chosen to, to go that route. We actually should go uh, into this topic some other time on a podcast, because Pete, I think it's a good point when you did your article on the um, 1990 recruiting class mm-hmm. and how excited they were for McDougal to get that chance when the freshman Paulus came in. I mean, if the Notre Dame defensive players and offensive players absolutely love Brandon Clark, like we, I don't think that's the case. He's too young really, but yeah. like, you know, if they're like, wait, 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 we love, we really want this guy to lead us in something like that, then it's a little tough. But I don't think Notre Dame has that guy. Like, if Phil Dracovic was still here and they're like, wait, man, he's been that waiting would be different. to play, like that, that makes it, I think, a different situation. That would be, that would be completely different. CMU Pens fan, when did you guys know that, quote, traits was no longer just a buzzword used by Brian Kelly and had really taken hold with the program post 2016? Uh, I don't know if it was the 20th win or the 30th win, but last year somewhere, I think last year was when we stopped being like, you know what, maybe just go with traits is a good idea. They were, they were winning. So like whatever he wanted to call traits um, was going to stick because they were winning. Um, So yeah, I I would say as as soon as they started winning uh, and they didn't stop winning, That's good. I was like, well, Trace is here to stay. Like, look, if he had if he had saved RKG until after the 2016 season, and that's what he said, it would be RKG right now. We would be we would be talking about who's an RKG, RKG and who's not. Uh, I would not be. I, I would. That is the lamest thing anyone has said to me in a press conference. Um, I can't believe it happened. But traits, I am down with the traits. All the traits. What's wrong with RKG? Come on. <laughs> right kind of guy it's holier than thou you can recruit the best player that can come to your team <laughs> they can get into your school but all these guys have our rkgs the right kind of guys off the field yeah tra- no, it's, is a little, it's a little more agnostic yeah, it's a little I, more. come on <laughs> whatever i never thought 
I never thought traits was a punchline like a lot of people did. I always believed in it. Well, so I think it was I, a punchline when Stefferson was came in after the traits were done and tore, started tearing everybody apart in 2017. Like, well, his traits seem like they're pretty good right now. But you're, you've always made the point that traits are what Brian Kelly has rebuilt his program on. If you coached at Grand Valley State and Central Michigan and Cincinnati, you have to recruit RKGs. That became part of the vernacular there. I guess he should have eliminated before he came to Nordane. But Nordane gets a lot of three-star guys, too, that, you know, that that fit. I mean, you know, it was – is is Kurt Heinisch – did Kurt Heinisch come in here as a player that, oh, he's going to step into the lineup as a freshman and, and play for four years and start for, you know, basically more than half of his his career? I don't know. I, I, I was I was never cynical about either one of them, I guess. Subfan, what player would you advise to take advantage of the COVID rule and come back for a sixth year? Or he probably means a fifth year as well if it's a true senior. Do you think anyone does? I I thought about this for a while. Um, Tim, you just mentioned Kurt Heinisch. I wonder about that one. Uh, it's a it's a pretty small list. Um, it is. It, the it, guy the guy that I wrote down and hear me out was Adeogandeje. I think he could go pro right now. I also wonder if he came back, if he could improve his stock where it would make economic sense to do so. I never thought about that, but now that you say that, I think that's interesting. I don't I, think he'll do it. Yeah. No, I don't, but I think Brian Kelly could have been referencing Ade Ogundeji or Tommy Kramer because Kurt Heinisch will come back and be one of Nordin's best defensive players and very much help the team and be drafted one round higher by doing that when he makes 20 tackles for a really good defense. But Ade Ogundeji could be the former ACC player of the year. <laughs> former yeah, ACC I, just, I wonder year. if Ogundeji could go from like a fifth round pick to a second round pick. Now, Tim, um, you think Kramer, isn't that just, is it tough just because of guard? He's not going to be a high, high pick anyway, maybe? Yeah, I, I don't, don't know. Ah, man, six years. injuries now. I wonder if you're just ready to like, all right, I got to go. Yeah, plus his, you know how offensive linemen are. I mean, his guys, the boys are leaving. So, yeah, you know, you want to leave. I, I think not applicable this year, but, I mean, Tariq Bracey needs a fifth year so badly. And I still, I mean, I strongly believe Tariq Bracey still has quality football in him, but he probably needs two more years instead of of one. Uh, Nick McLeod may, I don't know if he's accomplished. Yeah, he does. The the shoulder situation, that's chronic, and that's going to stick with him, so he probably has to get uh, moving to the next level. But as far as proving himself from, from a draft standpoint, but part of the proving process in the draft is you've got to have physicals, and they're going to find out everything there is to know about your, your physical hardships from the past. BMD. Yeah. Go ahead, Tim. I'm sorry. Does the lot BMD, does the loss of the <coughs> affect how long starters play in this game? Does Notre Dame need style points in case of a loss to Clemson? Will players will players have rest next week? I think so as long as you avoid a, a catastrophic like 31-30 win, that I think Notre Dame has enough style points in the bank that they can if it's 30 to 17, nobody's going to care. There aren't enough style points possible to overcome a 30 to three loss to Clemson, something along those lines. Also true. Yes. 
you know, I right. style points mean nothing against Syracuse. Absolutely nothing. That's um, why I would be resting people left and right against Syracuse. You got yeah. Go. I mean, but you, man, you play so many guys anyway. I, I you you shuffle guys in so much on defense, especially that I just play. I I think I think we're overthinking this. The the coaching staff will know when it's time to. Oh, they'll watch. Somebody's going to stay yeah. in the game. They're going to get hurt. And I'm, these words are going to be crammed down my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I would just, I mean, look at how they rotated guys in the South Florida game. I think you go back to that. I, I'm pulling up my uh, little trusty chart here. Nick McLeod played 14 snaps. Clarence he was hurt. He, he was hurt yeah. then, though. Yeah. But it's like they, they got him out fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, Drew White, 23 snaps. Wusu Kormo, 22 snaps. Crawford, 27 snaps. Uh, and then the defensive line, it was Dalen Hayes, 19, Adeo Gandeje, 20, Myron Tagovailoa, almost a 16, Kurt Heinisch, 13. I think you would see something like that. I do too. I think, Tim, the one thing I want to say about like this game compared to others is you are actually now, you literally only have to win the game. doesn't matter how much you win by. And you have to have an offensive line that's healthy to win your game that matters more than anything. Right. So it's like you do have to think, when do I get Robert Hainsey out of here? When normally Robert Hainsey's like, I'm not coming out of this game. I'm I'm an offensive lineman, and I am playing until the right. Yeah, I just don't think that this game necessarily transpires the way South Florida did. No, that was an easy one. That was really quick. And right, I don't want to watch that one again. So <laughs> what was the score at halftime? So I mean, that was amazing. I'm not I'm not necessarily sure this will go that way. Although having talked about third down, I, I don't know how Syracuse is going to get in the end zone. So. P-M-U-L-1234. How salty do you think Brian Kelly and Clark Lee still are after Syracuse kicked a field goal in the final minute of to avoid a shutout in 2018? I hope not at all. <laughs> I don't think they care now, do they? I don't think I don't think Brian Kelly remembers it. I don't think so either. Yeah. This guy, I think P Mull. One two three four must have uh, missed. Yeah, it. this is a, this is this That's is not crap. this is not an issue that that carries over in any way that I can. See. I think that uh, it's just a matter of football karma that Dino Babers is being punished by the cosmic gods of just kicking that field goal because Syracuse has been the hot garbage since that game. I didn't realize. I didn't realize karma was going to hit that hard because man, yeah, it's hit hard. Don't do not mess around with that stuff. I do think it would be funny if he does it again with the same kicker, Cisco. Who did it? After <laughs> <laughs> the end of the game, he calls him out and kicks field goal to cut the lead. To, they uh, are they are six and seventeen since that field goal. Not good. Domehead zero zero. How do you think the season would have gone if Notre had played its original schedule? If we're not talking about COVID being involved, where Trevor Lawrence is involved, so they just played the games out. But COVID existed, they'd be number two and twelve and zero. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I don't see oh, anything. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah, I, I don't. You know, I don't know that Wisconsin, in retrospect, now would have been ready for Notre Dame, and we weren't sure about that. They'd have trouble the scoring. Way, on Notre Dame. Yeah, like, the way USC is is playing, I don't think is good enough to beat Notre Dame. Um, yeah, I, I think Notre Dame was. Uh, Destined to be what they are this year. That Mert, 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 oh, it is Mert Jim. Mert Jim. What do you think about an all SEC ACC playoff and a seven and zero Ohio State is left out? I was, uh, I was on Tim Grunhard's uh, radio show last night in Kansas City, and we talk about this. And I, I just, 
Did I say this in uh, instant no, analysis, Tim? When did yeah, I? You put it to me, I think. Okay. Um, I mean, I, th I think that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 kind of forfeited their right to claim a, a shot at the national title when they they chose not to play. The, look, the only reason they're playing now is because they were guilted into it. If the ACC and SEC and Big 12 hadn't been proactive and pushed forward with this, I don't think th those two conferences wouldn't have pushed for it. I think that Ohio State – I don't have a problem with them making the playoff at 7-0. I think that they need to look a hell of a lot better down the stretch than they have to justify that. I think they, they lose – I don't think they lose the right to be in the playoff. I think they lose the benefit of the doubt to argue that their 7-0 is better than somebody else's 10-1 uh, and in the case yeah. of Notre Dame or Clemson. But um, I just don't think Ohio State has looked that good so far. If Ohio State had beaten everyone they played 72-2 to – then I, I would feel differently. But their defense is not as good as it has been in the past. They got up big on Indiana, but then almost gave the game away. Um, so I, I would like to see them play Michigan State, Michigan, and I get hopefully Wisconsin, um, and then evaluate it. That's, I mean, that's, that's half their season. So I'm, I'm happy to like give them a little bit of more of a runway to see what they've got. Good. Uh, how about this one, since the SEC thing, is saying that Alabama has a loss and Florida beats them. How about Alabama obliterates Florida um, and Clemson just beats Notre Dame? Not by one, not by one point, but by 10. Okay. And Texas A&M's only loss is Alabama. Is Ohio State in over Alabama? I mean, over, over, excuse me, over A&M? I think so. I would put them in over A&M. Assuming yeah. they look good over the next three weeks. I mean, let me let me clarify. Regardless what I think uh, about what should happen to Ohio State, what I think the college football playoff committee is going to do, they're going to include Ohio State. I, I don't think there's any – there's no doubt about that. The committee is going to do what's in the best interest for the most. You think if Notre Dame loses a close game and Florida beats Alabama, that's, those aren't the four teams? I, no, that's where that Ohio wasn't State the scenario. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't the scenario that I was, that I was commenting on. Okay, that's yeah. I, I think there's a real chance the Alabama college football playoff is a is an ACC SEC challenge type of bracket. Yeah. And I don't now. And so then, what's going to happen is, if when Notre Dame or whoever wins a national title, the segment of people will say, "Well, it wasn't a true national championship because you really didn't include the Big Ten and Pac-12." You know, we don't. I don't know, man. I don't know. It, you, you just know that there's going to be clamoring for a, an expanded playoff format after all of this is done, which I still disagree with. I know you do, Tim and Pete. I'm not exactly sure how you feel about I'm that. I'm open but to it. You're open to it. Uh, but there's got whoever wins the national title this year. They're probably unless it's it's if, if one of the chosen two, generally Alabama, Clemson there's going to be controversy after the season. Some people are going to, if Nordam wins the national title, you know damn well, there's going to be a segment that's going to take away from, from what Nordam accomplishes. Here's what I would say. If Nordam wins the national championship, it means they meet, they beat Alabama. So you can take that asterisk and shove it wherever you want. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> you get Clemson twice or Clemson once in Alabama and whoever else you throw in there. That's not a problem. Good point. Way to go, K-Man. How has covering a Notre Dame team in a conference this year been different? things you liked and things you haven't liked. 
Well, I can comment on one thing I know that O'Malley doesn't like, and that was not being in Southern California last weekend. <laughs> yes, huge that was, loss. That was poor. That was uh, that is a loss. Um, you find it that you know it's it. You find it that different. I it's hard to differentiate between the change in the schedule and COVID and everything that COVID has changed. I didn't find it that different, other than the team stunk. Um, that was a shot to all you teams that stink in the ACC. <laughs> uh, Clemson was going to happen anyway. I think as they play five teams anyway in the ACC, I'm, I am used to seeing it. Just seems like a couple more teams. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird not playing USC and. Wisconsin and Lambeau would have been cool, but that's well, Wisconsin anywhere would have been cool. I shouldn't even say that because Wisconsin and Camp Randall would have been awesome too. So I like Notre Dame's schedule when you have a, a major opponent like Wisconsin or coming up Ohio state or Alabama more so than the ACC schedule. Um, basketball is different than football. Like basketball, I really get into just watching the ACC, but in football, I I know I'm going to watch the team Notre Dame is playing on tape, but I watch other games. So I, I, I didn't think it was that much different really other than, I I liked it. I mean, I think there was a game. I don't know. Miami was Miami was playing NC state Mm -hmm. on some Friday night or Thursday night. And I watched that. I don't think I would have otherwise because there was tiebreaker implications. I I liked it. I think it's been an awesome fit for this year as a novelty. Um, But I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want that novelty to continue on. Yeah. Yeah, because USC and Stanford and even Navy, those are too special. I mean, that's part of the Notre Dame fabric. One of the things I like from a work standpoint was that every week when I sat down and looked at the opponent, I was looking at all of Notre Dame's other opponents mm-hmm. or Carrie Angeline standing out for instance yes. State. <laughs> so, I mean, so that kind of that kind of helped in preparation for the next opponent, the next opponent, the next opponent. Does he have eligibility and do they play NC State next year? I don't that's know, but he's a good, he's a good player. It's a free year. Oh, you're right. It's a free year. He's going to get my vote for first team all ACC tight end. So ACC TG teach. Is there a chance Clark Lee interviews for the Vanderbilt job during the game and Notre Dame uses Pete Sampson as a stunt double in the booth? (laughs) I feel like I would actually replace Rob Hunt and then Rob Hunt would replace Clark. Right. That's a good thing. Yeah, but most people don't know who Rob Hunt is. Notre Dame's head football trainer. But, um, yeah, I mean, can you live with that stereotype? I mean, every dude that shaves his head, they, they just kind of lump together. I like, I like that you say they shave. Like it's like a voluntary act that I don't have hair. <laughs> well, you do shave it. It's I do. Like... I mean, it would just look ridiculous otherwise. Um, <laughs> so, I, do, so I do this podcast on the athletic with Fortuna, and we originally, when we were coming up with titles, we wanted to call it uh, Domes on Domers. Uh, because Fortuna is also bald, and anytime we have a bald guest, which we have had many, we make sure we bring it up. We've done Tariko, Dungey, Clark Lee, um, who was it? Mike Golick Jr. I mean, it's like we have a preferred hairstyle on there. Aaron Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) Port ND. This is for Tim. Port ND. When are you writing another book, Priester? Have I ever expressed how much I hate the process of writing a book? Yeah, you did. You told me that before, actually. After <laughs> because I, you know, I feel like I'm a true. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a daily, not that I ever work for a daily newspaper per se, but a, a daily newspaper sports journalist. I want to I want to do that story and move on to the next. And when you're writing a book, it never ends, man. There's no there's no gratification 
getting work done from day to day, week to week. I did not like the process. Having said that, how do you know I'm not already? How do you know I'm not writing another book? He doesn't know that. There'd be no way of him knowing that. But I just don't write. I just don't. I just don't know when it'll be published yet. That's all. But I don't. I don't enjoy this one. I'm enjoying the previous ones. I I I didn't enjoy, and I actually got help from Samson on the on the first one with with interviews with former Nordian players. So, not a. How do you feel about that, Pete? You want to write books? I think that, I been, that fits your asked, style better. Yeah, I mean, I've been asked to do it, or not asked, but like people have asked me about it. Um, some people have advised me to do it. I got to say, like the whole thing sounds incredibly intimidating. Um, you're better prepared. I, I think you're way better prepared to do that, though, and to handle the, the pace uh, of it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, in, it's definitely interesting, uh, but it's also intimidating. I think it's a lot, having written a couple that, you know, like 12 people read, I think it's a little bit overrated. <laughs> <laughs> like I write a book on Charlie Weiss after his first year, and ESPN doesn't publish it until after he's already lost in his second year. Yeah. What are we, what are we doing here? You can't <laughs> it's, control. It's tough. I, like could have been worse. Could have made Bruce another Feldman, year. I think has done a, a bunch of college football books that are really good. I would advise anyone to read meat market if you're into recruiting. Yeah. But he wrote one on LSU last year, which when it, I heard that it was coming out, I was like, awesome. I can't wait to read it. And then it came out and LSU lost to South Carolina, like that weekend. Right. And you're like, Ugh. I mean, it's just, a, it's just, is a killer. It just, you have, you have, I had no control over the timetable of its release. And I didn't even have control over the, the, the title of the book. Really? It's really, yeah. it's really, it's what, was really your, what was your alternate title? I, it should have just been the gold standard. It, the new oh, gold, the new gold standard. Yeah. I mean, it just, it would talk about clunky. I hated it. I fought <laughs> it. I fought it. And I might as well have been whistling in the wind arguing that anyway, we'll wrap up with, uh, the last one, Pete, I'm not sure if this is applicable to you, but <laughs> from Packy P, what is your favorite piece of Notre Dame memorabilia? I'm going to go I get have, mine while you talk. I have three. Jack, are you, are you using video here, Jack? The one behind me with the number one hand, that's from 1985, that number one hand. See that green? Oh, the foam green. finger? Yeah, uh, I, that, I was wearing that at the uh, national championship game. And I'm on half of my head is on TV in the national championship game after the game is over on the field as a 13 year old. It's kind of cool. I have a little piece of ripped up grass. I was like a Michigan State player ripping up grass after that game. I tore some turf out of the uh, Fiesta Bowl. That's kind of useless now, though. But my favorite piece is, and this is going to anger a lot of people, is at the Notre Dame Bush Push game with my wife, then girlfriend. She snapped a picture of the scoreboard with no time on the clock. Notre Dame 31, USC 30. <laughs> Excuse me, Notre Dame 31, USC 27. It looks, it's great. It's down here on the little bar area. And uh, people look at it and they're like, and they just, they hurt a little bit after they look at it. It's a, The only thing that I have, and I don't even know why I have it. I Somehow I have an autographed Bob Davey football in my house, um, which has been chewed up by multiple dogs. But that. That is it. That's, that's literally the only thing. You destroyed the value of your Bob Davies sign. Well, maybe not. Value. So I went. I went and got my memorabilia. Since we're all looking at each other, and we did instant analysis before this, thinking that I was going to be able to 
show this to the people that are listening, but I can't do that. <laughs> it is, uh, it's the Norton 1988 Notre Dame National Championship ring. It has my name on the side of it. I was a lot younger and a lot closer to the program. We were allowed to be a lot closer to the program. And as a, as a alum, it was a different situation. Dick Rosenthal was the athletic director. I was best man in his son's wedding a few years prior to that. So I had special connections and I have a, a 1988 national championship ring with my name on it. And um, that would be my favorite piece of memorabilia. That's it. We're wrapped. We're done. Well, prediction. Cause uh, we, they have a football game to play. Pete, I'll go they do. predictions. I'm in the 38 to six range. Cause they have a kicker. They'll kick a couple field goals as we found out. And um, I just feel like Notre Dame getting the offensive lineman out stops us from going too crazy. So I'm in the 41-6, which would cover, 38-6, which would not range. I think the linemen come out. The offensive line gets out of the game. I realize I said this wasn't going to be a replay of the USF game, but I'm going to pick the same score, 52-0. Um, and I'm anticipating Syracuse missing a kick at the final gun uh, for that to be the final score. <laughs> but they have a good kicker. Yeah, they have a good kicker. Their good kicker will kick one so or two back field. around, and you will see Syracuse will go uh, ten and two next year because of it. All right, my prediction tomorrow with the preview on uh, IrishIllustrated.com. We appreciate you joining us, and uh, O'Malley and I will actually both be at the stadium on Saturday for the first time uh, for the first time this year. I haven't seen O'Malley in person. March fifth. March 5th. With Pete and Jack. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Actually, everybody we're going to, well, no, that's not true. We saw some people. Yeah. There's some people. That is, that is pretty hard to believe. All right. Hey, we appreciate everybody. Thanks for joining us for Irish Illustrated Insider. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.